You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 202 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stubbings and not joining me in the barn studio this week because, well, let's be honest, I'm not in the barn studio this week. I am in PTUK HQ Man Cave, surrounded by all my aviation uh, paraphernalia. But uh, joining us uh, and doing all the uh, computer work this evening is uh, my co-host Matt Smith. Hello, Matt. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, just outside the hotel. Uh, well, no, no, where, no. What? Where am I? I'm just outside Heathrow on time in the Hotel Marriott in uh, uh, just off the A4, uh, in, just outside Windsor. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen? And uh, yes, so I've brought a. a mobile studio with me and uh, I, has to, I have to just say uh, I was trying to bring this up before we started but uh, we were talking uh, about, because Dan Hannington was listening to uh, episode 201 uh, and uh, there was a, 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 I think one of the news stories because uh, Nev obviously is a big fan of uh, these wonderful articles where they always get everything right uh, and uh, we discussed that we'd never come across a 727-800, oh no 727-MAX wasn't it? Max. That's right we'd never come across a 727-MAX and I and I'm delighted to say that Dan Hannington has successfully managed to find a photograph of it, and I think it really does look quite fabulous. Uh, so there you are. If you're watching in YouTube, you can you can see what it is. It's uh, it, it looks like it might is it, is it whiz or wow with that pink? I, I'm never quite sure. So it's. It, uh, I think it's got uh, got got some issues. Um, it, I mean, it's going to be an incredibly powerful jet, really, with those engines. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, th- I well think done, it's, Dan. Uh, absolutely, it is, uh, and they're above the the um, they're above the uh, uh, wings as well which is quite unusual they're usually hanging underneath aren't they uh, it's, it's it's all very good it's unusual so, yes <laughs> so also joining us this week via the realms of skype it's uh, the other awesome co-host of the show mr neville bounds hi carlos hi everybody and uh, yeah great to join you again and uh, nice that we're doing this on a, a friday evening um it's been a bit of a long week again but uh, yeah glad that friday is finally here so uh, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to another great show. I, I feel your pain there, Nev, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the 2nd of February, 2018. God, we're in February already, guys. I know. It's been I know. And it's uh, just gone 7pm in the UK here in the evening. Uh, we've got loads of people joining us in the chat room tonight. Uh, we've got uh, Liz Piper, Graham Haley. Uh, we've got Pilot Pips in the chat room. Oh. Uh, Brian Coleman. Brian Coleman's in the chat room. Uh, Mariana. First, Officer Mike. We've got Armando. Carry on. Hello, Armando. Uh, we've got... Uh, let me just scroll back up so I don't miss anyone. Here we go. Uh, Chris Turnbull. He's also in the chat room. Shorty Crossgrove. Uh, Reuben Wells. Tony Kitchen. Uh, Glenn Towler. I hope I haven't missed anyone. Have I missed anyone, guys? I hope not. Oh, I don't know. Um, don't ask me. <laughs> I don't know. But hopefully I haven't missed anyone. But welcome to everyone who's joined us uh, in the live chat room tonight. We've got loads of news stories to get through. And uh, don't forget as well, we've also got our very first um, instalment of Nev's passenger experience. Any uh, tasters, Nev, of, of, to what uh, this is about this week? 
No, not really. I thought I'd leave it until the last <laughs> minute to um, let you all. <laughs> but uh, this was actually recorded this one just before Christmas in the snow. It was so uh, very Ooh. difficult to get to the venue in, over in London Docklands. But uh, yeah, looking forward to a new series and uh, lots of stuff uh, coming your way this year. So uh, we're going to see if we can top last year's effort with Mel C, see if we can get some more well, celebs on. Good luck. on. good luck with that, sir. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Perhaps if anyone can do it, you can. Is, we can. He can get the Queen. Well, that's right. true. Yes, I am spitting's distance from Her Majesty, have you know, and I understand she is in residence here at Windsor over the weekend, so uh, maybe it, I shall pop up nice. for a knock up on the door, you know, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to hear from the Queen and see how her flights are on her... Uh, Private on her jet, yeah. Six. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly on. So, uh, like, like I said, we've got uh, Neb's first uh, MPE for this year, and uh, we've also got we've also got some military news, everyone. Oh, so, have we? Uh, Jonathan Warner is now an incredibly oh, happy man. Oh dear, oh dear, I, I didn't get that far down in my show notes. If I'm honest, oh, <laughs> that's now reading his show notes as always. Yes, of course, absolutely. Well, so. I suppose we better start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready, Nev? Yes, ready. And if you're ready, Matt? Yes, I'm ready. Let's go. Kicking off this week's first news story, it's on the bbc.co.uk website. And the headline, Emotional Support Peacock Barred from United Airlines Plane. Obviously, Brian was not on this aircraft at the time. A female traveller was recently barred from taking a large emotional support peacock on board a United Airlines flight. It has emerged. She uh, has offered, or she offered to buy the uh, bird its own ticket, according to travel blog Live and Let Fly. Nevertheless, the airline refused to let the bird board at Newark Airport in New Jersey, saying it did not meet the guidelines due to its weight and size. United says it, this was explained to the traveller before she arrived at Newark. Pictures of the striking bird and its owner attempting to travel to Los Angeles emerged via the jet set and travel-based talk show. The images show the animal perched on an airport baggage trolley as fellow passengers gaze in shock. After six hours at the airport, the exotic bird and its human companions decided to take the road and instead drive across the US. The peacock reportedly called Dexter belongs to Brooklyn-based artist Ventenko, who, do, who uh, documents its life on social media. She said, I have never left the house without having at least one person react, Ventenko told a local culture website in 2017. The artist, whose real name is not known, told Bedford and Bowery that the feathery giant really changed me, my life in a positive way. She originally brought Dexter and a peahen called Etta for an art installation. She later found them a new home from which Etta and her offspring disappeared. The loss affected Dexter's behaviour and Ventenko came to his rescue after hearing that the bird was housed in a garage. Following a failed stint at an upstate New York farm, Ventenko finally decided to welcome Dexter into her Bushwick loft. Now involved in her photography and performance art, the exotic bird appears to enjoy his New York life. However, he avoids public transportation like 
the subway because Ventenko doesn't want him to be traumatized. So uh, airlines have allowed some passengers with emotional psychiatric problems to take therapy animals on board with them, but the number of some emotional support animals has been rising in recent years, sparking suggestions that people are abusing the system. In 2014, a woman was escorted off a U.S. Airways flight when her pig named Hobby or Hobie defecated and squealed before the plane took off. So I'm going to put this question out to uh, both the hosts then. Uh, given the chance, what uh, particularly uh, emotional support animal would you take on board an aircraft? Well, is it... No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin uh, because you just don't know. I mean, probably something like an uh, orangutan or, you know, <laughs> chimp or something that, you know, is, is around about the human species, possibly. But uh, right. no, I think it, it seriously got out of hand and uh, there seems to be no end to this stuff. So I can literally do. hear Captain Nick busy doing backflips at this entire story i mean it's just like yeah. i think i mean I, I love my little dog alfie like you wouldn't believe if i was going to have any kind of emotional support animal then it would have to be him but i know that the last thing i mean he he, he is not happy when he's in the car goodness knows what he's going to be like if he's on an airplane with all that background noise and and goodness knows what else the poor little thing would be shaking to bits bless him he because he don't do <laughs> he just don't do sort of stuff like that it's just i, I don't know but i mean when you're reading that story i wasn't entirely Entirely sure who, whether it was a, whether the whether the human was emotional support for the peacock or the other way around there because it's, it's just <laughs> like I don't know it's a very fun, it's an odd choice of character and then, let's be honest uh, they're not the quietest of animals I mean before you know where you are you've got a that's sort of, you know going on like, what on earth is that going to sound like in an aeroplane can I just Seriously. say going going to the chat room um, the, uh, the chat room is saying uh, first off, first officer Mike would like a honey badger uh, <laughs> appara apparently according to Brian Coleman Captain Al wanted to bring his elephant uh, right. Andrew Wilson wants to bring his emotional support shark uh, right uh, Glenn okay. Towler wants to bring his emotional support panda right okay. um, Lane Street has one of the more interesting uh, suggestions. He wants to bring an emotional support, Amanda Holden. Ah, right, yes, yes, uh, the, the finder of the species, uh, yes. Philip Davis, uh, apparently Philip Davis wants to bring three turkeys. Right. Quite okay. why he wants to bring three turkeys. Uh, and Mariana, a puppy, Liz Piper. Liz wants to bring a polar bear. Right, okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> they don't sound the most cuddliest of toys, it has to be said. <laughs> No, no okay. it's an interesting uh, assortment there of uh, emotional support. Uh, actually, Brian is, uh, Brian uh, Coleman says that he wants to bring his emotional support, Jessica Alba. <gasps> right, OK. I'm noting a bit of a theme here with some of the people in the chat room here. Um, I'm a little bit scared, I won't lie. Uh, <laughs> anyway... We're going to move on to story number two. Matt, this one is for you. OK, yes, this is on the express.co.uk, okay, which is where Nev always gets all of his uh, aviation-related news, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the headline is, Ryanair allows union to represent pilots. Will this affect cheap flights in the UK? So Ryanair has allowed a union to represent their British pilots, meaning that they will be able to negotiate for better working condition. It means UK pilots 
pilots can ask for more pay, better hours and more holiday. The changes affect 600 pilots, which makes up a quarter of all Ryanair pilots across Europe. Balpo will not represent the uh, pilots and the British Airline Pilots Association has signed a voluntary trade union recognition agreement. So Ryanair has previously been reluctant uh, to deal with unions. Uh, owner Michael O'Leary once said hell will freeze over before the company recognised the, fr- the, the need for such things. It's obviously got a little bit chilly down there uh, as of this week. Uh, however, now the company has revealed its pilots will be represented by the union and given a 20% pay rise. Balpa's General Secretary Brian Strutton said, given Ryanair's previous hostility towards unions, today's agreement is very much a historic one. Uh, and I don't think anybody disagrees uh, with us there. While we were initially sceptical about Ryanair's sincerity in offering recognition to us and other unions, our conversations and meetings with them have shown that they are genuine in wanting a constructive trade union relationship. I am hopeful that this is the beginning of a strong and mutually beneficial relationship between Balpa and Ryanair, and I urge Ryanair to agree deals with pilots' unions in other countries and with cabin crew unions. Ryanair recently bought into effect its new luggage restrictions. Passengers who take hand luggage could now face extra charges if they haven't realised that the rules have changed. So, I mean, we've covered the, we covered sort of like variants of this story before. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... Um it, it, I, I can't help but feel that maybe re- recognising the unions has is a start maybe to trying to retain their pilots because I mean it's been obviously in the news a lot that both cabin crew and pilots are leaving like in droves you know for, for rival airlines and, and maybe this is one way of trying to sort of you know stop the stop the rot for want of a better word. I think it had to happen, didn't it? Because there was a, a high possibility there was going to be some serious disruption. Uh, I mean, they've already had some at the back end of last year with uh, pilot hours and, and this mm. kind of thing. But uh, there was going to be some serious disruption this year, I think, if they had not sorted something out. So I think although it's a, it's a first step, there's, there's mm. probably some way to go. And this would be a new situation for, uh, for them. But uh, it's probably got to be a good thing. And uh, yeah. so I, I think that will be uh, ultimately uh, good for the passengers as well. Mm. Absolutely, indeed. I, uh, do, uh, how do you feel? Though? Do you th- do you think it's likely that we are going to see fares rise, though, as a result of this? I mean, do you think it'll have any impact on, on the low cost fares? I don't I know. Don't. I, I, I'm sorry, Carlos. I, 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 I doubt it somehow. I mean, th- mm. this it's one of those things that um, union uh, operations in in, uh, in, the, in the pilot fraternity is, has been around for, for a very long time. And I think it, it there was an inevitability about this, wasn't there? And I, I just can't really see it's going to have a, a serious effect on... Um, and of course, let, let's not forget, I mean, EasyJet, uh, I'm using, you know, obviously, let, let's mention their direct rivals. Uh, uh, you know, they have recognised union from the outset and uh, you know their prices are very comparable if not certainly on level par um, with Ryanair and you know that that they recognize unions you know and they haven't got people leaving in droves uh, you know uh, as that so um, yeah as you say perhaps perhaps they're they're worrying over nothing essentially remember as well the British Airline Pilots Association or BALPA you know they they represent over 75% of all professional fixed-wing pilots, uh, helicopter and, and aircrew based in the UK. So they're, you know, it's it's a 
it's a good um, association to be in mm. if you're if you're in a pilot uh, profession. Yeah, no fair point. Fair point. So Nev, the next story is all for you. This is on the Australian Business Traveller website, and it's a BA story, which we always like, of course. And it says that if you're travelling on one of three British Airways Boeing 747s currently fitted with in-flight internet, BA and credit card company Visa are now offering 60 minutes of free connectivity above the clouds. The promotion, which BA says runs for a limited time, and that's all the information they have right now, gives you one hour on the basic browse package, which normally costs £4.99 for web, email and social media but not video streaming if that whets your appetite and you want to more time online you can plonk down 10 pounds 99 for four hours or 14.99 for a flight pass to stay online for the length of your entire journey if more speed is what you need the faster stream service kicks off at seven pounds 99 for one hour with four hours priced at 17.99 and a flight pass at 23.99 ba says it's working hard to get over a hundred jets in its long-range international fleet kitted out with wi-fi over the coming years with the b uh, with the Boeing 747 jumbo jets, uh, 777-300ERs, 787 Dreamliners, and from 2019, the new Airbus A350-1000. They all rely on the latest 2Q broadband satellite technology from GoGo, which is the same system being used by Virgin Australia. Now, my experience of in-flight internet has been uh, very expensive and just not a very good experience. Uh, when I went to, on United to Washington last year, uh, it was just awful. And I, I don't know what they're going to be doing for improving things, but it just didn't seem very good value for money. And I really could have waited until I got to the other end. But I thought I'd, I'd try it out. Just uh, when I went to Pittsburgh, actually, I had, uh, I, I was, well, in fact, most of you will probably know, so you, you and uh, Carlos will certainly know, when we went to, to Pitt, Pittsburgh and, and I was actually um, able to like WhatsApp people while I was in the air uh, and I have to say I, I think it depended a bit on what you were using it I mean if I was trying to send videos and stuff then maybe not but it was pretty good I mean and I, I got I think I got uh, an hour's worth of, uh, of free Wi-Fi um, yeah, I think where, where I went wrong was trying to download a two-hour 4k movie perhaps I shouldn't have been doing perhaps that, that was <laughs> the, perhaps that was indeed the uh, issue but these, these there. prices oh guys I mean, if if BA were to offer a really, really good quality service, speed service, Wi-Fi service on the aircraft, these prices aren't hideous, really. No, if you were no, on business and you want and you needed mm. access to the internet to either emails or anything like that, you know, these prices, you know, they're not bank. Uh, breakers. No, I, although I do agree with Matt Caton in the chat room who says, to be honest, I like the fact I can turn my phone off He's for unplugged. 10 hours. Yeah, and absolutely. He has <laughs> a point. I he does have agree a point. With you there, man. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and also, but, but I think... Actually, I was going to say, Andrew Wilson does make also a very valid point as well, that uh, if he had the Wi-Fi on board the aircraft, he'd only need to have Flight Radar 24 on. Yes. Oh, right, of course, yes. What, 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 tracking your own aircraft <laughs> while you're in the... Uh, <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> Fair enough. I, 
think we're a long way away from um, like the service being good enough that you could uh, just sort of use it, um, you know, like and down, you know, as if it's, I think it's going to be a long time before you can like literally sit there on the aeroplane and say watch something off Netflix. I think we're a little way away from that being being possible, especially you know, it, it, especially in rural communities. It's all BT can do it, let alone you know offering those kind of facilities in the air. But uh, I, I dare say it'll come. I don't, I don't think it will be long before. Uh, those sort of things are possible. Actually, yeah. let's not let's not forget, guys, that one of the suggestions that we had at the 200th show from the listeners who were there was that for our 300th show that we were going to do a live uh, broadcast from on board an aircraft. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to put the satellite though, Carlos. That's the issue. <laughs> I just like that's going to that's going to alter the dynamics of the aircraft quite dramatically. I think. <laughs> No? Okay. <laughs> okay. So moving on to, to the next story. And uh, this one is another story just for Brian Carman. And uh, this one's on the independent.co.uk, very Polish paper. And the headline, United Airlines accepts a man's 19-year-old paper plane ticket he found under his bed. Yes, that's what I just said. So United Airlines has agreed to honour a ticket issued uh, to a man nearly 20 years ago after he found it in a box under his bed. John Walker from Greensboro uh, discovered the 19-year-old airline ticket last month. It was for a flight from Nashville to Sacramento on the 31st of December 1998. It was purchased in December to fly to Sacramento for my brother-in-law's wedding, which was on the 2nd of January 1999, Walker told uh, WFMY2, and he didn't get to go. He requested a refund at the time and in March 1999 was sent a letter from United saying that although the ticket was non-refundable, the value could be used towards a future flight. He put it away because at that point he didn't have any plans to travel, said Walker, and he completely forgot he got the ticket. He only discovered the ticket when looking for something else. Walker opened a box and went through it and discovering the letter from United at the bottom. As it said, the conditions were that uh, domestic, wholly unused, non-refundable tickets can forever be applied towards the purchase of another domestic, non-refundable ticket for the customer named on the ticket. So Walker decided to find out if forever would still apply. Several attempts to get an answer from the airline's customer services department led nowhere. No one knew what to do with a paper ticket because by this time, the paper tickets were long gone, he said. They hadn't been issued for around 10 or 12 years. He decided to send him a message on Twitter, and although the letter wasn't legally binding, an agent told him that when United went bankrupt in 2010, they were absolved of all outstanding debts, including forever tickets. The airline decided to honour it anyway. According to Walker, the agent said his situation was so unique that uh, the airline would uphold the voucher. He said, I think it was just good customer service on their part, Walker said. He is still waiting for receipt of the $378 voucher, which is now technically valued, with today's current inflation rates, at $571.60. So, (laughs) 
Has anyone got any old tickets laying under their sofa? Or, uh, no, I haven't. Although I did quite like the old tickets. I must say there was something nice, wasn't there, about mm. getting them through the post or picking them up from your travel agent. Um, it was just Agreed. something to look forward to. And now it's just an app on your phone, which although it's far more efficient in many it respects, is. it's just not as, not as nice, is it? Yeah, it's difficult to get excited about an app, isn't it? It's very difficult yeah. to sort of get all, get all carried away and think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm about to go somewhere amazing here. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. don't forget, people for, for many years ago, for some people, keeping their their stub or their airline ticket was a kind of it was a memory, a memory of a holiday. Yeah, absolutely, I mm. completely agree. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I I feel it. Yeah, as you say, it's uh, there. In some respects, it's a shame we've lost some of the old nostalgia, haven't we? Really, but uh, yes, there we absolutely. go. So the next story, Matt, is all for you. Uh, yes, and uh, a, a rare error on Carlos's part to give me a picture story or a video story when I'm the one reading it out. But there we are. Well, we'll let you it go. Can play it out in a bit. Yeah. Okay. So it's the mirror.co.uk is the website, and the headline. It's a story that we've covered before. Unfortunately, baggage handlers for Ryanair and EasyJet flights caught on camera casually tossing mm. suitcases as one misses the conveyor belt. So uh, baggage staff for EasyJet and Ryanair flights have been caught casually tossing passengers' luggage on and off planes. Passengers filmed the workers in the act on two separate occasions uh, on different flights to highlight the issue for fellow flyers. In the first footage taken from a flight that departed from Bristol, baggage handlers can be seen grabbing suitcases and throwing them onto the back of a truck at the flight's destination. At the flight's destination. Uh, in a separate clip, suitcases can be seen loaded onto a conveyor belt at Krakow Airport and tumbling off onto the floor. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a funny story. So uh, Ian, uh, Ian Jarvis, a chartered accountant from Worcester, took his video after flying from Bristol on December the 28th. He posted it online a month later after, after not getting a response from his complaints. In his post, he wrote, I want to see what happens to your luggage at Bristol Airport. Watch this video taken on the 28th of December 2017 of Swiss Port staff in action. I made a complaint a month ago and had no response at all from Swiss Port and EasyJet, uh, which is a little bit harsh. I'm going to play the little video for you. Uh, now I must I must say uh, this is not really how this is merely for me uh, simply an advert um, for uh, making sure that you always have carry on only frankly um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah here we go uh, so we're going to play the video now here we go uh, so if you're watching uh, on uh, or listening on the audio podcast then make sure you take yourself to the mirror website and search for Ryanair EasyJet baggage and you'll see exactly what's happening so in this first video here they're just casually throwing away I think there's nothing breakable in those uh, those bags I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that um, you know your, your cases were being uh, you know better treated than than is what we're witnessing it, uh, here it's it's shocking honestly when i saw this story and i played a video i you know to, if you were that person on that flight and you you're watching you, you know oh there's my case coming down the conveyor yeah. and then seeing it lobbed and i mean lobbed i don't mean mm. you know it was lobbed into a, someone else's suitcase you know it's Especially at that time of the year, bear in mind this was taken uh, just after Christmas. So, you know, these could be people returning from holidays from, from away with know, Christmas presents, see family, yeah. uh, with presents and stuff in their cases. And I just, you know, it's, it, 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 it baffles the mind. I mean, I think this should be a, an Olympic event 
uh, which features this because obviously they're they're doing pretty well with it. So maybe we could do that in the <laughs> Olympic Games. The uh, the baggage handlers uh, uh, tossing. Do um, you think again? Uh, <laughs> again, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> is there? Can I, realistically though, with with most suitcases this day and age, I mean they aren't. I, I'm, I'm trying to play a little bit devil's advocate here, I suppose. And don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want my suitcases to be treated that way. But in fairness, they're not standing on them. They're not crunching them underfoot or anything like that. I mean, presumably your average suitcase is going to protect your stuff from being thrown. You know, don't get me wrong, if you've got a Ming vase in there, it's ruined. But, you know, let's, most people aren't carrying such things. I mean, is, is that kind of, is that as, you know, abuse as such? I don't know. Well, Brian, uh, Brian Coleman says in the chat room that, sadly, this is normal baggage behaviour in the US. He sees it all the time. Right, OK. I suppose, I suppose the moral of this story is it makes sure that, you've, that you're always carrying non-valuable goods and a decent suitcase so that it can withstand uh, such treatment. I guess it's, uh, it's, it's not the most glamorous job in the world, but perhaps, you know, I suppose we'd all like to think that they're being... Uh... Actually, uh, Matt Caton, uh, our beer producer mm. uh, in the chat room, has said that if you were moving 2,000 suitcases a day, would you be gentle? Well, th- th- that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> As I say, I think perhaps maybe we should just make sure that everything's all stacked properly. You know, make sure that the case is yeah. is well protected. And maybe, I mean, See, what, do you think like one of these hard suitcases will make any difference? Well, watching watching videos like that is the reason why I always pack my camera equipment in my hand luggage. In your hand luggage, yes. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> any any thoughts, Nev? The thing is, it's a question of whether you spend a lot of money on your expensive Samsonite suitcase or whatever manufacturer you've got. Yeah. Uh, you think it's going to last, you know, five, six, seven years maybe, but with that sort of treatment, it's not going to last very long. So I tend to buy uh, low, um, well, probably low quality, but low price suitcases, mm. certainly, so that uh, and they last me two or three years, and I pay, I don't know, probably £40, not even that sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I bought market just just to uh, uh, just to get a new one. I, uh, I bought a hard suitcase like. before I went to New York, actually, mainly because we want to take some brochures and stuff out there as well. Uh, so I knew I needed something with wheels because I knew it was going to be sort of right on its limit, if you like, for for the allowance. Mm. And uh, I must admit, I bought one from Tesco's that was a Tesco's own brand, and it's been it's an it's been an absolutely brilliant suitcase. Um, yeah. And but it has mm-hmm. got this hard skin again, so you you know you sort of feel that if uh, you know, because <laughs> you sort of feel that maybe it has been uh, cared for slightly better. Because when we went out to Pittsburgh, obviously we took quite a lot of tech stuff between you and I, didn't we, Nev? So we took quite a lot yeah. of stuff in there. And I didn't have a hard yeah. suitcase. And I've never been so terrified when I saw <laughs> my... Because I had a lime green suitcase, mainly because I'm one of those where I like it to be <laughs> as loud as possible so that I can spot it on the conveyor belt when it's going round. Um and when it came out where it was basically brown, not uh, lime green, when it came out of the conveyor belt, I must admit I was a bit like, oh, I hope everything in there is okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's had a bit, it's had a bit of a rough Actually, journey. Um, yeah. Liz, Liz Piper's just said in the chat room, don't forget last week we had that story with the um, guy with the the hardcore suitcase. Oh, yes. Is it a 600-pound suitcase? Yeah, with a big destroyed. hole in it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah. 
That's a good so, point. So moving on uh, to the next story, Mr. Bounds. Yeah, this is on the AIN online, and uh, it's all about the 787-10 from Boeing. And it says that um, this year's Singapore Air Show heralds the final stages of the Rolls-Royce uh, Trent 1010-powered Boeing 787-10 service entry effort as the Civil Aviation Authority of Singapore prepares validation of the US FAA's amended type certificate for operation with launch customer Singapore Airlines in the second quarter of the year. Easy for Issued you to on say. Ju <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there's no, no punctuation at no. all in those five lines of text, is there? <laughs> well uh, but uh, issued on January the 22nd, the FAA award capped a certification program involving three flight test airplanes, two powered by Rolls-Royce Trent 1010s and one by GENX-1Bs uh, that flew, uh, that together flew a total of more than 900 hours. Boeing expects certification of the GE-powered 787-10 in time for scheduled first delivery to United Airlines in the second half of the year. And uh, speaking with AIN just ahead of the show, Boeing 787 Chief Project Engineer Bob Whittington explained that Boeing had originally planned to use four test airplanes in the program, but as the 787-10's commonality with its smaller sibling, the 787-9, became more and more apparent during the early stages of design, so did the lack of a need for much of the testing to demonstrate the differences between the two models. Uh, the Dash 10 and Dash 9 used 95% common part numbers, not only reducing the number of test hours needed for the Dash 10, but undoubtedly aiding workflow once full-scale production of the latest Dreamliner begins in North Charleston, uh, South Carolina. Apart from its 18-foot stretch, the only visual obvious difference between the Dash 9 and Dash 10 lies in the Dash 10's semi-levered main landing gear, leaving only some minor structural reinforcements in the fuselage and some systems modifications to account for the bigger cabin. Boeing arrived at the 18-foot stretch by inserting five frames in front of the wing and four frames after the wing, allowing for the addition of 40 passenger seats and a total capacity of 330 in a two-class layout. Using exactly the same wing as the Dash 9, the Dash 10's only other significant difference involved localised strengthening of the fuselage an increase of the capability of the environmental control system, the ECS, and enough ca uh, cargo space for one more pallet or two extra LD3 containers in both the forward and aft holds. Uh, whilst maximum landing weight increases by £20,000 to £445,000 and maximum zero fuel weight jumps £25,000 to £425,000, maximum takeoff uh, weight remains unchanged at £560,000 uh, with the range decreased to 6,430 nautical miles from 7,635 nautical miles. And uh, completing function and reliability trials and ECS testing ahead of schedule. The third airplane designated uh, ZC002 finished testing first and revealed no surprises since its first flight during the summer. It actually performs better than expected, said Whittington. And by the time Whittington spoke with AIN on January the 5th, the first airplane, the Trent 1010-powered ZC001, had completed all but a final stage of stability and control software validation, performing crosswind landings and tailwind takeoffs in Newfoundland. Incorporating technologies from the Trent XWB and Advance engine, 
including a rising line compressor and three-stage uh, bladed uh, disc at the front of the highest pressure uh, high pressure compressor the trent 1010 promised a three percent fuel burn advantage over the trent 1000 the original rolls option for the dash 8 and dash 9 and entering service with a, an air new zealand uh, dash 9 and a scoot dash 8 last november the trent 1010 has not delivered quite the fuel burn promised rolls uh, fuel burn performance Rolls promised. Whittington said Boeing is awaiting a new software package to recoup the less than 1% deficiency by mid-year. However, in the 787-10, Boeing's aerodynamic dynamic measurements showed roughly 1% better than expected drag coefficient improvement, thereby countering the slight deficiency experienced in the Trent 1010-powered Dash 8 and Dash 9. Goodness just shows, me. doesn't it, how much uh, a little bit of um, uh, fuel burn makes just a huge difference across uh, the fleet yeah. and all those thousands of nautical miles being flown. So, Nev, Nev, I think uh, a little round of applause, please. That, is the, it, that was know. a horribly hard story to read. Well done, sir. I'm very impressed. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, th these stories are not written to be read out. No, they're not they're really. Written are they? to be read <laughs> silently <laughs> to yourself. Yes, and, uh, yes they, they didn't overdo the, the punctuation. No, indeed. And can I recommend you go and grab yourself a beer immediately uh, as a reward for, <laughs> yes. for such thing? Actually, while we are talking about beer, can I, make, can I just say, as we have got Matt Caton in the, the chat room, your beer, mate, at, that, at our 200th was absolutely delicious. And I'm oh, not a big sure. sort of IPN, IPA or, or beer fan and that was a glorious glorious bottle it has to be said you should uh, you should do more of that please but you, there's one left yeah let I me have guess I've got one bottle have downstairs you? at PTKHQ right. of okay. uh, the beer I'm very that jealous. That could be a prize for later on this year. <laughs> How on earth are you going to post it to someone? I don't know what to do with that. Incredibly careful. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. So please feel free but, to make uh, some more uh, of that beer. Uh, ideally in time for our summer meetup that, uh, gents, I think we need to start planning at some point very soon. But, uh, uh, yes, uh, well done, Nev. Well done. I say, Going back to that story, um, uh, Nev, the uh, the guys at, uh, at Dubai where the, the Dash 10 was on show uh, last year, um, I, I didn't. I couldn't interview them because uh, their their particular PA person wasn't with them. But I had a good chat with them, and they were they were incredibly enthusiastic about the the whole Dash Ten program and how it was progressing, and and how um, you know how the the ergonomics of the aircraft and everything were, were working. So, yeah, it uh, it looked stunning. Uh, for sure, and uh, it will be nice to see whether BA pick up any of these um, later on. Mm, yeah, mm. it's certainly what well, it's a very nice looking aircraft, isn't it? I think that that stretch that they've done to it makes uh, the ergonomics and everything look just absolutely spot on. So, and if if they can fill the seats, uh, it was extra forty seats they said, didn't they? So, uh, yeah, that yeah. that could be really good. But uh, no, I think it's a very important addition to the range, and especially uh, if they're getting the fuel consumption figures that they want or or, or close to it, I think it's going to be an absolute uh, absolute winner. Yeah, agreed. agreed. So next story, and this one is on a rather interesting site. This is the JapanTimes.co.jp, and uh, for those of you who uh, live in and around airports, will know that uh, airports do have uh, issues in some areas with birds, and birds are never a good thing to have flying around when aircraft are involved, as uh, Sully found out. But uh, this story then, and uh, the headline is Raptors guarding Mexico City's airport to ward off bird strikes. 
So Mexico City, this is based in, far from the crowds of passengers, lines and passport control, Madison spreads his wings on the side of a runway at Mexico City's International Airport, the busiest in Latin America. He's one of several peregrine falcons deployed to prevent bird strikes, a hazardous collision between birds and planes that can have dangerous and even catastrophic consequences. Don't forget, in 2009, like I said, for instance, a U.S. Airways uh, jet had to ditch in the Hudson River in New York after a flock of birds took out its engines. In January this year, a Mexico-bound KLM flight made an emergency landing after hitting birds on takeoff in the Netherlands. Uh, it's dangerous. Birds don't mix with aircraft. They can hit the turbines and cause damage. Oscar Chavez, a 26-year-old who is one of the biologists handling the falcon, was told AFP. Each day, Madison and another peregrine falcon named Eisel, is that Eisel? Uh, on duty at the airport, which sees 44 million passengers pass through each year. The other birds realize there is a predator around and they disappear, quite rightly too, said Nayeli Hufors, who's in charge of the animals at the terminal. Getting Madison ready to uh, fly requires a daily procedure that Chavez said was like a ritual, attaching a tracking pad onto his leg while dangling quail meat to distract him. Depending on the weather, Madison can soar aloft for two hours at a time. Like raptors, he, he likes to float in warm air currents while scanning below for targets. These days, however, the days in Mexico's capital are cooler, limiting his forays. Still, the goal is being met and no other birds are spotted in the vicinity. Swallows, kestrels and kites are among the bird species that Madison and Eisel like to hunt. Before 2014, airport authorities used raptors to swoop down and kill their prey as a way of keeping runways clear. But now the falcons are trained to fly and keep other birds away by their threatening silhouette in the sky. That way, biologists avoid uh, protected species being ripped apart by the falcons' and beaks and claws. Ooh, if that ever happens, we could get fined by the environmental agencies, Fjord said. The new method also has an advantage in that the falcons are not gorging on prey, which would result in them becoming too setted uh, uh, than want to fly aloft again. Peregrine falcons are not the only birds of prey de uh, deployed at the airport. A blue-grey apolum... What? Apollo, Aplomado, Aplomado falcon, there we go, called Panchito, <laughs> and three Harris hawks also fly as sentinels over the tarmac. One of the hawks is named Loca, crazy in English because of her aggressive nature. Because they fly low over the carnivorous birds, they can be used uh, close to boarding halls where there are more plane movements. But there are less, uh, other less speculative, uh, spec spectacular animals to, at work too. The team of biologists can also call on dogs trained to chase away birds from the ground between runways. And insect populations in the area are kept in check through chemical products, robbing the nuisance birds of a source of food. At the end of the day, the animals, feathered and furred, are ushered into a hangar next to the airport for a night's rest. In the meantime, the buzzing facility nearby keeps on with its frantic activity. I have to say, this is quite a, uh, 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 shall we say, environmentally friendly way of um, keeping birds away from airports, guys. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I, 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 you know, most of the airports, I know Norwich Airport near us uses uh, a bird-scaring vehicle, I think, right. to scare away the uh, the birds there, as, as do, I think, Heathrow, I think. Perhaps um, Adam could uh, could tell us could what's clarify, going on there, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, as you say, uh, as you say in the story, though, it's, it's not an uncommon method of um, crowd control, shall we say, um, for keeping the birds uh, away, really, so it's... Uh, it's uh, it's it's nice to know that some, some, sometimes you know nature is is the best way to deal with these things, isn't it? Anyway, on to mm. the next story. This is on the CBNC website, and the headline is: Consumer shopping sprees are bringing are giving new life to the Boeing seven four seven. So obviously, we've been running stories recently where um, we're seeing the seven four seven going out of service as far as uh, US and UK carriers are concerned. Um, but uh, yeah, as I say, this is uh, bringing them a new lease of life. Passengers are happy having a tougher time finding a seat on the Boeing 747 these days, but that doesn't mean that their stuff won't be hitching a ride on the original jumbo jet. UPS on Thursday announced it was doubling its order for Boeing 747 freighters, giving a burst of life to the jumbo jet that several passenger airlines have retired in favour of more fuel-efficient aircraft. In mid-2016, Boeing said that it was considering ending production of the 747s as airlines planned to phase the planes, famous for their humped fuselages out of their fleets but UPS's affinity for them is helping keep the planes alive even if they are a tiny portion of Boeing's order book of more than 5,800 planes. UPS said that it ordered 14 additional 747-8s worth around 5.65 billion at list prices. Obviously they've not paid anywhere near that for them. Uh, bringing its total to 28 counting for jumbos it ordered in 2016. The company also ordered four new Boeing 767s worth Worth eight hundred and forty-eight million dollars at current list prices. Uh, consumer impatience and a seemingly insatiable appetite for prompting delivered goods are. Uh, for promptly delivering goods are boosting air freight rates and in some cases making space abroad airplanes scarce, very scarce. Uh, it's a boon for both traditional cargo and package delivery companies as they rush to get their packages from Amazon and other retailers carrying products from salmon to from uh, carrying anything from salmon to pharmaceuticals to smartphones to consumers as fast as possible. Air freight demand rose by 9% in 2017 from a year earlier. The fastest clip uh, clip since 2010, the International Air Transport Association said this week. Our intra-US next day and deferred air shipments are expanding to record levels and UPS's international segment has uh, produced four consecutive quarters of double-digit export shipment growth, said David Apney, uh, who is the chairman and CEO of UPS. Now, actually, I can add uh, to this story because I know, um, as, you, as you know, recently I was in New York for a trade show for the company that I work for and I literally could not believe that we were able to because we were, we were sort of trying to plan our logistics obviously months in advance uh, and uh, when we were looking at it because of the weights that we were talking about they were significant but they weren't that massive it was actually far cheaper and ridiculously fast to get our stuff out by ups where it basically went to stanston got on a plane and then went to newark i think it is which is where it's either new york or or jfk or somewhere wherever it is that they land um uh, in new york and uh, it was overnight it actually left so from our point of view bearing in mind we wanted it on the wednesday and it left um, the UK Tuesday 2 p.m. and it arrived 
in our hotel Wednesday morning. That is remarkable, isn't it? It is really genuinely good. remarkable. Really and and yeah. this is one of the things. And I, I think, as I say, I'm using that really as a way of backing up this story because it, it is very much um, what's occurring. Is It's just like the overnight... I mean, I, I almost didn't believe them. I mean, we had a backup plan because we were so convinced that it wasn't going to work, this... Um, this crazy, this crazy, crazy idea that they were going to be able to do it overnight, and and it's just, it's just incredible, absolutely incredible that it beat. It, it took less time for the stuff to get to our hotel than it took us to get to our hotel. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is great news, I think, for Boeing because I think they were, you know, Boeing got to the stage where the you know the orders had completely nearly enough dropped off for this for the Dash eights. You know the 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 whole production line, the 747 production line, has slowed mm. right down, and you know with uh, UPS ordering you know additional 14 additional aircraft to Dash eights, mm. you know it's it's um, not only is it obviously good news for uh, for Boeing, but it's also good news for the workers. You know it keeps keeps people in jobs, which is the most I, important. I must thing. say I'm com- almost convinced actually that we're never going to ever see uh, a time where the 747 isn't still in the air in some form. I, I really do believe that now. I, I really am sort of almost convinced that, that, that this airline will continue to fly in some form or another till long past we're till long after we're not here. Mm. I mean, yeah. if they stop producing it uh, today, I'm sure that the 747-8 and, and others, other variants that will still be going in 30, mm. 35 years' time. Maybe. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, you look how long the 747s lasted, the original, you know, the, even the, the mm. Dash 400s, the the sort of the the newer versions and these dash eights have only just come out in the last few years and they'll if they have the same uh length of service that the you know their their older um versions have had then they'll go on as you said in there forever bear in mind these the dash eights obviously there's more of these in the in the freighter version uh they are used in passenger versions lufthansa have got some in in passenger um uh, versions and also korean air as well are also a customer of the passenger version of these and i think uh, if i'm wrong i come up with a cafe may have some passenger ones i'm not sure but Luft, lufthansa and korean air definitely mm. Mm. absolutely so moving on to the next story and um, who is this one? I can't remember. I lost the space. This probably mine, I think. Yeah, is that yours, Nev? Yeah, it's yeah, Nev's going. The yep. uh, CNN tech uh, section of their website, and it's all about Airbus's flying car, which takes <laughs> the skies for the first time. Airbus took one big leap for, uh, toward bringing a flying taxi to the public, flying its uh, prototype Vahana aircraft for the first time. Airbus said its full-scale aircraft made two short flights on Wednesday. The self-piloted aircraft climbed 16 feet before successfully Ooh. returning to the ground after the 53-second trip. Well, don't, you know, don't overdo it, lads. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. The Vahana flew again on Thursday, the company said in a statement. The test flights took place at the Pendleton Unmanned Aerial Systems Range in Oregon. The 20.3-foot-long and 18.7-foot-wide Vahana is designed to take off and land vertically in a small area. It has helicopter-like struts and two sets of tilting wings, each with four electric motors. There's room for a passenger under a canopy that attracts like a motorcycle helmet visor. 
The project is part of Airbus's expansion into new flying technologies through its Silicon Valley unit, um, A-cubed, which is A with a little three at the top. Uh, unlike the uh, slow and years-long process of designing, building and testing Airbus's airliners, the harness flight comes just in 24 months after A-cubes founding. In just under two years, Bahana took a concept sketch on a napkin and built a full-scale self-piloted aircraft that has successfully completed its first flight, said Zach Lovering, who's the project executive of Bahana. Future tests will further validate the company's technology and the prototype will eventually test the transition from hovering a few feet off the ground to forward flight. Vahana has to master that transition if it wants to fly passengers from the rooftops of skyscrapers in crowded cities. That statement uh, is so obvious, it's not even worth uh, <laughs> saying, is it really? But, um, uh, anyway, uh, Vahana executives have said they hope to make a more refined version of Vahana ready to sell in 2020. Our goal is to democratize uh, personal flight by leveraging the latest technologies such as electric propulsion, energy storage and machine vision, said Lovering in a medium post about the first flights. Uh, Uber's Elevate project cited the Vahana project as a possible candidate to move the company beyond ground transportation and transform how people get around cities. Airbus's chief rival Boeing is also rapidly advancing technology for future air taxis. The aerospace giant last year acquired Aurora Flight Sciences, a maker of automated drones and aviation parts. So uh, when you uh, dial up your Uber app on your phone, <laughs> um, you uh, you might get one of these turn up. You uh, never know. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think, uh, in, in an ideal world, of course, uh, there is this assumption that, of, of course, uh, traffic will be less of an issue if you're not on the roads. I mean, it could be a great way to get into and out of London. Uh, yeah. <laughs> per se, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, uh, whether air traffic control are going to enjoy having to try and negotiate lots of very inexperienced or not very inexperienced pilots or not is is another question, perhaps that we should throw at Adam. But uh, there we are. Yeah, well, yeah. Just there's, there's, there's plenty of dash cam footage, isn't there, on on YouTube of, <laughs> true, uh, true. of bad driving. True. So that this is will very be the next one. That <laughs> is true. Yeah. Sorry, Carlos. I was just going to say, with, with some of the, uh, the the roads that we have in our area here, Matt will will know that um, something like this would would make for quite a, uh, a an, an excellent idea. I think uh, it'd certainly be less Matt. bumpy because uh, yeah. turbulence is not great. Uh, let's be honest, but it's better than the roads that we have to travel back and forth into the middle of the country on. Uh, it has to be said. Uh, yeah, Brian <laughs> Coleman knows about those roads he does. Uh, very well yes, I think yes. yeah it's fair to say we so live the... it's fair to say we live in a <laughs> okay. rural community does it not <laughs> anyway yeah anyway so moving on to the next story and it's uh, it's another airbus story uh, mm. especially for uh, all our airbus fans this one is on the money.cnn.com website and the headline airbus debuts longest range single aisle jet so this story was uh, we came online just early this week and uh, i saw the video it's actually online of this it was really good uh, airbus has debuted its much anticipated airbus a321lr long range the world's longest range jet with a single aisle currently in production the plane took its maiden flight wednesday from the european plane makers factory in hamburg germany lr 
as I said, stands for longer range. The plane can fly for 4,000 nautical miles, or about eight hours of flying before it needs to refuel. It's designed for transatlantic routes as airlines want to fly non-stop to and from smaller cities that don't have the demand for big twin-aisle jets. Airlines like JetBlue Airways said it's studying whether to buy the A321LR as part of a strategy to potentially expand its service to Europe. Airbus said Wednesday it has amassed more than 1,900 orders for the A321neo and its longer range model from more than 50 customers. First delivery of the jets uh, begin later in 2018 following about 100 hours of airborne tests over the coming months. The first operator has not yet been disclosed but airlines like low-cost carrier Norwegian Air Shuttle, Air Transat, in Canada and Ireland's Aer Lingus have committed to the plane. Airbus has made small modifications to its A320neo to create the A321LR. It has as many as three additional fuel tanks that can carry around 7,700 pounds of additional fuel or passengers and their bags. The arrival of the A321LR is part of an escalating flight, uh, fight between Airbus and its American rival Boeing over what plane makes, uh, makers have dubbed the middle of the market. With the A321LR, Airbus says it has captured a solid 80% of market for flights that don't need a long-range jet but are too busy for a single-aisle aircraft. Boeing, meanwhile, is still pondering plans for its first new jetliner since 2011. The jet is dryly called the new mid-market airplane, but it has been dubbed the Boeing 797 by prospective customers. The 797 is a twin-aisle airplane that could seat between 225 and 270 passengers for flights of up to 5,200 nautical miles or just over 10 hours. The jet will be tailored to serve congested airports on routes such as New York to Los Angeles. Like the A321LR, the Boeing plane should also be efficient enough to serve medium-range flights connecting the United States to smaller European cities. The jet would fill the gap between Boeing's single-aisle 737 workhorse and its advanced long-range 787. Boeing hasn't given the green light to build the 797 and would have to spend at least $10 billion to $15 billion to bring it to market, so a vast sum of money, uh, which is more than Airbus is spending to create the lightly upgraded A321LR. So Boeing will need to charge a premium price to earn back its investment as it battles the A321. So the A321 then, like I said, there's a, there is a great video of this um, being tested on YouTube actually, which I watched earlier this week, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, it it does look quite nice actually. They've they've made some quite nice little little tiny changes, not massive changes to the A321, but obviously with these uh, extra fuel tanks, it's going to be able to fly a lot uh, further for a lot longer. Mm. Matt, this would probably have benefited you on your uh, New York trip last year. Oh really? Why is that? <laughs> Or, some, or actually, no, your Pittsburgh trip, actually, it would have uh, probably benefited you as well. Oh, what, so, because it yeah. wasn't a 757? 
<laughs> Long and a short of it. That, that, that's where the end's it anyway. Yeah, on to the next story. This is on a great magazine. This is on the flyingmag.com website. And the headline is Boeing invests in next generation battery technology. So we're looking at the future uh, at the moment. And uh, basically, the story goes a major stumbling block into the development of a practical electric flying vehicle is battery technology, which is currently plagued by energy sources that weigh too much and produce too little power. This week, Boeing's Horizon X Ventures uh, took a step into battery development for, an air, for the aerospace giant when it announced its first investment in an energy storage company, Berkeley, uh, California-based Qberg. Uh, the Berkeley startup was created by former Stanford University researchers uh, developing next-generation battery technology for potential aerospace and industrial applications. Since it was founded nearly three years ago, Qberg has developed an advanced battery cell designed as a drop-in solution on the existing large-scale battery manufacturing processes. The Qberg uh, system combines a lithium metal anode proprietary electrolyte and high-voltage cathode to achieve high energy density and thermal durability. Since April 2015, Qberg has uh, grown with several rounds of financing and grant funding and signed a multi-million dollar joint development agreement with an industry industrial battery manufacturer uh, so it's a very very exciting story actually I, I, it's 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 something that that i'm i'm a big fan of i mean i, I would love uh, an electric car i'm the, i know i'm probably a little bit controversial by saying that but the one thing that that is an issue with with the cars is range and uh, it's yeah. you know you can't put any more capacity in there because you reach that point where there you know the weight is so great that you're not gaining anything more by it. So I mean you know this this is really exciting to be to be able to get an aircraft where uh, in the air that using just battery power because they've been, they've mastered that technology. I mean that's really what's holding us back at the moment, isn't it? Getting these these batteries right. But anyway, Qberg's battery technology has some of the highest energy density we've seen in the marketplace, and its unique chemistries could prove to be safe, stable solution for future electric air transportation, said Steve Norland, who's the vice president of Boeing's Horizon X. The investment team previously announced an investment in another startup, Zenum Aero, a company developing uh, hybrid to electric aircraft. It is, as I say, very much a story of the future. But uh, I do think, you know, um, they're, they're, the only trouble is, I think, is with all of these things, is actually... <laughs> You know, you've still got to get the. We've still got to generate the power somehow. This is all very well getting it so that everything runs on, on batteries and stuff. But uh, we still, we still don't have the capacity to generate the electricity without using coal and nuclear and, and all that kind of thing. There are still many stumbling blocks um, in regard to this, but it is nevertheless an exciting development. I think we're a long way off to have electric-powered aircraft, but. Obviously, battery technology has got to uh, got to move on quite substantially before we. I think we'll have we'll see large passenger aircraft in the sky. Mm. Nev. Yeah, I think I agree. And uh, if you look at the, how long it's taken to get battery technology from where it was, so we used to use those big nickel cadmium batteries for yeah. our camcorders and all the rest of it. You can remember ages ago. And if you didn't fully discharge them before you recharge them, they yeah. ended up memory with some, uh, memory yeah. going on there. 
now we've got lithium ion batteries and we've got thermal runaway problems and potential fires and this kind of mm. stuff so the battery technology i think is a, a difficult area uh, for technology in general terms in terms of the speed at which uh, the charging is done and also the demands on it and the loads that we would be put on as well but this is an encouraging sign i think mm. uh, we will uh, one of these days maybe not in our lifetime but one of these days we'll actually have very very good battery technology and we'll we'll have wondered what all the fuss is about but i just think it takes a long time to develop this stuff agreed very much so so the last story in the commercial news segment nev is yours and this is uh, this has got some pictures which uh, apparently shouldn't have come out until uh, later on uh, this week or later on next yes. week yes interesting isn't it and this is on the flight global website and uh, images of a new Lufthansa livery have surfaced online days before the expected unofficial uh, official unveiling at an event the airline is hosting on the 7th of February so that's uh, over a week uh, away uh, posted on the uh, aeronews.ro Facebook page the images show a conservative change to the German flag carriers color scheme uh, whilst the stylized bird remains in place its yellow surround has disappeared in another shift from the previous design the tail's dark blue paint job extends over the fuselage the word Lufthansa on the Ford fuselage looks to be largely unchanged the new livery appears on a Boeing 747-8 and uh, these um, pictures were posted on Twitter by journalist Andreas Spath uh, show group um, chief executive Carsten Poor uh, displaying the livery on a tablet computer and Lufthansa executives are in Cape Town for a conference on African aviation. And uh, the airline's 7th of February event is entitled Explore the New and takes place in Frankfurt. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly the, the story of the century, is it? But, um, yeah, there's some definitely some subtle changes there. I wonder um, how these pictures got, got leaked. But that's the thing about electronic communication. Indeed. I seem to remember yeah. a, a rather Stuck amusing story uh, a rather amusing story that I think that followed this because I saw I saw a headline to this and it was it's an error error pr uh, yellow cartridge requires replacement error it was sort of like oh, one yeah. of those where they just sort of <laughs> done I away did, with uh, the I yellow. Put, out, put out to the chat room to see uh, exactly what the chat room thinks about uh, Lufthansa's new livery. Glenn Taylor says he hates it. Okay. Uh, Flyboy <laughs> One says uh, he feels it's a copy of the Air New Zealand livery. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brian Coleman says they don't like colour at Lufthansa any longer. No, no. Uh, Richard Adams says looks like tea. Hmm. Oh, okay. Or green tea. Uh, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps he means his tea is ready and he's going to have to leave the, yeah, it looks like the show. Perhaps he says oh, yeah. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> his tea is ready. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, um, Glenn Tyler says it's worse than the Air Canada new livery but oh, very um, good yeah it, it's it's obviously this has not gone down too well with our our current chat room uh, no, members indeed indeed oh well i i i, I mean i i don't mind it it's 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 blue my favorite color is blue um i i just think it looks for me it just looks a bit plain it's a bit understated. <laughs> oh dear, I see what you've done there, Carlos. Oh yes, uh, <clears throat> very good. Um, I love how everything we do is planned on this show. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. No, no, honestly, no, no, seriously, guys, it is a bit. You know, when you look at some of the liveries that, that some of the airlines have these days, like Air New Zealand and stuff, and you know, mm. um, some of the the more kind of um, how should I say, um, um, colourful uh, paint schemes. 
they've gone for a quite a uh, how shall I say clean crisp look. corporate is another it? word they've gone Cor- for a corporate look yeah. I think uh, you know but then sometimes less is more isn't it I mean it, it's one of those isn't it, it, it less is more uh, do, does it need I mean, to have all the shouty thing? I mean, everything you need to know is there. I mean, does it does it need to to have loud shouty colours and all that kind of thing? I, At the end of the day, I people... was going to say to Nev, cast your mind back, Nev, to uh, to years ago, and I think it was the nineties, mid nineties, when BA had their their artistic tales. Oh yes, yeah, mm. yeah. That I remember that didn't go down. That well. wasn't very well received by the then Prime Minister, Mrs. Thatcher, I seem to recall. Oh, dear. And, uh, <laughs> oh dear. It, it was a real split. You know, some people liked it and some people hated it. Yes. But, uh, I much prefer the, the current scheme, I must say. They've done a much better job of that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> there we are. So that is where we are going to bring the commercial news segment. So I'm just trying to ring the chat, read the chat room here. Mm. Um, where we bring the commercial news segment to a close, uh, we are, what have we got? What have we got coming up next? It's time for Nev's passenger experience, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. That's, That's what's it. so very exciting. You read your show notes, Carlos. Come on. I know. So we are <laughs> going to hand things over to our illustrious Mr. Bounds. Come on, introduce uh, our first one of 2018. Yeah, well, this one nearly didn't happen because it was just before Christmas. And we don't really get much snow in in the south of England at all. But uh, this was the occasion where we did get a lot of snow. And I said to Mrs. Nev, well, should we take the train? Should we take the car? And we made sort of like five different changes of mind. We eventually got the car up the top of the drive uh, where our road is. And we went very slowly to the station. We eventually got the train down there uh, into London Docklands. Uh, but it was, yeah, th- this was the interview that nearly didn't happen. But uh, we did get there and we had a very nice lunch and seeing some old friends as well so uh, off we go let's have a listen Welcome to a brand new series of Nev's Passenger Experience for 2018. I'm looking forward to bringing you more Traveller's Tales again throughout this year. In the first interview of the new year, I'm speaking to a good friend of mine, Victor Hobbs. He and I worked together back in the mid-1980s, and he was actually my boss for four years or so during that time. Victor has travelled extensively on business and for leisure, and he is an American Airlines Million Miles status holder. Although originally from the UK, he has spent over 23 years in the US, and so he thought it was about time he gained his American citizenship, which he did some three years ago. These days, he lives in Southern California with his partner, Joan, and I caught up with him in London Docklands when he visited the UK in the middle of December. I began by asking Victor which airline he used to traverse the pond this time around. With uh, Virgin Atlantic, tends to be a very smooth experience, very well serviced in terms of uh, the people on board. They look after you very well. And we always choose when we're coming over to, uh, to the UK from the jolly old US of A uh, to fly Virgin Atlantic upper class. The reason for doing that is because we've got somewhere to sleep coming over in their life lap beds which are very, very um, comfortable, even for me who tends not to sleep when I'm on those sort of planes. Experience generally is um, one of comfort. Yeah, it's a it's a generally pleasing experience, and the experience in their uh, lounge at LAX, if you can manage it, that you spend enough time there, is 
a lot of nice food, a lot of keen attention from the staff, and a few drinks. So that makes it a very pleasant experience altogether. And a pleasant experience is not what you get on an everyday experience of LAX. Yes, I've heard that. Now, what about the domestic flying that you do on, on the West Coast? What, who do you fly with and where are you flying to and from? Always Southwest Airlines. I happen to be a user of Southwest Airlines that enables me to have A, their booking capability for flyby with uh, TSA, which makes the experience not too bad when uh, initially boarding. Yeah, I have priority boarding, which enables me to get the first. With, with Southwest Airlines, boarding procedure is that you only get precedence if you are the name I can't remember at the moment, which I shall come back on <laughs> shortly, uh, where you get the first 15 uh, boarding, so you've more or less got the whole plane to choose from when you get... Uh, get in, get the baggage in the, uh, in the upper compartment and settle yourself in. Subtly better than those in A30 through B and C60. Now, you've done a lot of flying in your professional life as well. Um, tell me about the, your Concorde experience that you had. Concorde experience, Nev, as you know, is uh, one of the best experiences of my life in flying as I was at that time to many different parts of the world and uh, we happened to be as a party treated by one of our clients to a Concorde flight back from uh, New York to London and I think I can quite honestly say that was probably the best experience in the air in my life. First of all, you were treated at in, or were treated in New York to uh, uh, an interesting pre-flight lounge experience uh, with a lot of gorgeous food and a lot of uh, uh, interesting wine, which I was convinced at the time was being meted out because you weren't actually going to like the uh, flying experience. But it was actually the exact opposite of that. The flying experience was quite incredible. The first thing you get when you're seated in this long pencil thin, as it appears, cabin compared to some of the, uh, the wide bodies that you're flying at that time, is the, when you're settled in and with the uh, uh, safety belts well uh, in place, you get the captain in his best British accent, being British Airways, uh, telling you you're likely to find the takeoff experience somewhat different uh, to the uh, wide bodies in which you're more experienced by virtue of fact she's a little skittish on the runway being uh, obviously very fast and that tends to make you buckle your seat just a little bit uh, a little bit tighter and he says um, when we actually get wheels up and he says when we turn on the afterburners to do the ascent it's like being or was like being pushed into the back of your seat as the thing accelerates at something like a 30 to 45 degree angle. An interesting start to the journey. I guess from that point onwards it becomes a little bit more normal. Normal until that you realize it's you're flying 
at something like 45, 46,000 feet, which is about 50% more height than you're used to, way above the clouds, obviously. And the sky is beginning to look above you, just a little bit like an inky blue experience. And it's at that point they're telling, telling you that, I forget what it's actually called, it's not outer space, but inner space that you're now traveling in when you're leveling off at that 45, 46,000 feet. There is absolutely no experience of speed. It's like a floating experience, and the only thing that's telling you how, the, how fast you're going and how fast, hopefully, the plane is going to is the, um, is the tachometer. Is it a tachometer? Well, we'll call it the speedometer, shall we? <laughs> Let's call it a speedometer. It's the thing that's telling you what speed to go. And I think it was called at the time a Machometer. So it's reading out the Mach speed, which is your speed, as you know, compared to that of uh, sound at ground level. Um, and as the thing goes 1, 1 1.2, 1 1.3, 1 1.4, right up above the... Uh, 2.0 to 2.3 and you realize you are now tra traveling at twice the speed of sound but you certainly don't appear to be doing that I think when you're at that sort of height and of course by the time they finish the cruise I think it's nearly 60,000 feet 1,350 miles an hour Mach 2 and it's you know less than three hours to London then you know that you're moving then absolutely correct it, you don't actually know that other than the Mark 1.2 up to 2.2 is all you're seeing. And there's actually nobody, even the captain, who's telling you what actual speed you're doing. It just seems to be incredibly smooth and you seem to be gliding. And the only thing that you're seeing other than that glide is the fact if you look down and if the, uh, if the clouds are in the right place down there at the time, you can actually see the curvature of the Earth. And you're thinking, I'm in outer space. <laughs> Which, of course, you're not, but you're in semi-space at the time. And that's quite a feeling. Going from the fastest aircraft to the slowest aircraft, you've been a private pilot's license holder in the past. Have you kept that going? Yeah, I, I was and managed to... Uh, with some difficulty, I had to, had to add, but uh, achieved my uh, private license uh, in the UK before I left for the US, and then, unfortunately, I let it drop, which was a sad thing to do because, well, two things. One, in the US, a private plane is very much more useful in getting from point to point easily but still being within available distance of the ground travel at the time. Therefore, it becomes eminently more usable than it was in the UK. But now, of course, I'm way too old to afford the cost of, uh, of uh, private plane flying because uh, I'd have to pass this thing called a medical probably once every three months now I'm uh, that in age. But uh, I'd love to be flying again. And when you took your PPL, was that at Biggin Hill? That was out of Biggin Hill, yeah, absolutely. 
one thing I was able to do at the time was to uh, cheat some of the uh, experiences ne necessary to pass the PPL in that I started taking the radio license. Uh, so I was able to actually use the radio uh, when I was blind flying rather than doing the um, ground recognition that is mainly required in what's it one is supposed to do VFR totally uh, when going for example the uh, the tests etc to get your PPL whereas I was already able to use IFR uh, which made it a lot easier to pass rather than having to recognize roads and rivers on the ground an interesting experience altogether just going back to commercial flying now, is flying a, a pleasure still, or is it just a necessary evil of getting from one place to another? Tends to be the latter, a necessary evil, but not necessarily because of the flying experience itself. It's because of the outside the flying bit experience, which uh, obviously from security perspectives make flying or getting to flying or part of the flying or getting to traveling by air experience less than a happy thing that it used to be. Yes, a, uh, it's par for the course though unfortunately, we, we hear that a lot, it's actually doing the flying bits the straightforward bit but getting on and off the plane is the more sure. difficult. I'm still able to experience for example when flying Southwest Airlines the difference between a landing and an arrival <laughs> which, which tends to be uh, less than uh, satisfactory but uh, it's probably me most of the time judging possibly what I would have done as a lighter plane in those uh, in those circumstances mine were mostly arrivals I have to say <laughs> I still enjoy the flying experience itself and actually still recognizing some of what the guys up the front in the cockpit might be doing because obviously the uh, sizes of planes etc are very very different indeed but I can still experience some of what they might be having to look at despite their total computer organization of their flights nowadays I can still what's going on what is going on to a degree there which is which is interesting still Brilliant, Victor. Thanks ever so much for talking to me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Neville. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email 
on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823, Trent Dane for 2-3 Arm Manchester. Wizz Air 6X, Climb Flight Level 210, direct to Britain's Park. United 123, maintain 280 knots. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed base Boeing 737-800 flight simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check Check out the website at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Oh, so I... massive. Well done, Nev. Well done. Oh, thank you. Yes, that was um, very nice to see the... The chap who I don't really see very often these days because he's, I say, over on the West Coast. But it was great for him to, to come over to the UK and uh, we had a good, good, I, good I, time. And it was nice to talk about his flying. I have to say, Nick, the, the only thing that worried me a little bit was that every single photograph that you sent sent me uh, basically involved uh, Vic with, with some kind of pint or wine that glass is, in his hand. Yes, now this, this <laughs> is getting from, and I was trying to get some pictures from him, but all I could find on his Facebook feed right. were those okay. ones. So. Fair enough. Okay. But that actually does summarise uh, how he lives his life. Uh, but, so. Well, and, and, what, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always good as well to hear some more Concord stories, Nev. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, how we, how we miss it. How we miss Fair it. Fair enough. So. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, it's... Um, uh, it's great that Vic had the opportunity to go on it, and his client was very generous and bought him a, yeah. a flight back to London. How about that? That's great. Absolutely thing. glorious. So we're going to move on then to the next part of the show. We have got some military news. I say, sit uh, down, everyone. Just hold just the to keep the <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep everyone happy. So uh, if everyone's ready, we're going to do some, some military news. Yeah, we're all ready to go here. Let's go. So the first military news story this week, this one is on one of our fantastic papers here in the UK. This is the sun.co.uk and the uh, headline, well, for those of you who have been watching the show or listening to the show for the last few years, you'll know about pilots making interesting uh, patterns <laughs> on yeah. the various uh, flight radar and uh, other 
uh, radar tracking apps. Actually, I noticed so, uh, in the show uh, notes, Carlos, that, that you said this one was sent to us by Paul Tricker as well, actually, this, this story. Yeah. Yeah, this was sent in by listener Paul Tricker, who is local to us, actually, Paul is. And uh, this uh, headline is Plain Sight, Mavericks Pilots' Epic Spitfire-Shaped Flight Around England, Caught by Eagle-Eyed Plane Spotters on Flight Tracker. So an online flight tracker showed how a plane apparently followed an extremely neat, and when Matt puts the pictures up, you'll see, an incredibly well <laughs> well. Uh, well well placed uh, recognizable route in the shape of the World War II icon eagle eye plane spotters were left stunned when a pilot apparently flying an exact outline of a Spitfire was spotted on a Flight Radar 24 app. The aviator, who was said to be flying a silenced twister stunt plane, was tracked online, making the eye-catching journey around southern England. An outline of the iconic Spitfire was drawn by a bold pilot. The plane appeared to follow an ex extremely neat and recognisable route in the shape of the World War II Spitfire, leaving some to question whether it really actually happened. The apparent homage to the Spitfire is even more special as a silenced twister is designed to look very similar to the Spitfire. It's a single uh, seat tail dragger with the looks of the Spitfire. The alleged flight uh, went to heights of 4,200 feet and went from 11.32am to 2.40pm according to Flight Radar 24. The British, uh, the Supermarine Spitfire is a, a British icon and served in a huge numbers in World War II. The route appeared to take the pilot over Felixstowe, Cambridge, Maidstone and Colchester, crossing several, uh, several counties here in the UK. Last year, and uh, we had a similar story which reported an RAF fighter pilot who left plane spotters shocked after tracing a 35-mile-long, well... We all know the story. Image. In the yes. skies above, <laughs> yes, Lincolnshire. <laughs> family show. Yeah, family of course, show. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the uh, website FlightRadar24 first traced the unorthodox flight path before Twitter account Civil, uh, Siv Miller shared it and joked, is he trying to draw something there? So uh, in this particular story, the typhoon took off from RF Coningsby near Boston, Lincolnshire on the morning of August the 24th last year. It then undertook a series of turns over Lincolnshire and Norfolk and a loop over the wash uh, to complete the smutty outline. But uh, no, you, you put the picture up on the, uh, on the feed there, Matt. There, I mean, that is looking at here in the picture in front of me here on the story. That is one incredibly well-drawn It is, absolutely. I mean, you could argue, obviously, that, uh, that actually if you've planned your route correctly and you stick to it to the letter, of course, you are by very nature going to end up with a very neat... Uh, design if you follow it to letter but I mean that's that's some serious planning isn't it to make sure that you've got permission as you you know because obviously you're going to be touching through several airfields and, and that kind of thing I mean it's a, a brilliant effort if it is indeed genuine it, it really is a a brilliant brilliant um, uh, I think drawing. I think it was genuine but I mean he must have had um, I'd imagine he would have had some sort of Garmin or uh, you know a GPS navigation system on board yeah. um, the aircraft to, to be able to plot something that, that uh, accurate. correct yeah that accurate yeah. yeah what do you think what do you think nev i think he's done a very good job there hasn't he it is it's, i mean it's, uh, it's the, identifiable it's, I, think 
I don't want to spoil anything though, but, and I almost hate myself for saying it, but <laughs> it, it almost looks too good, doesn't it? Really? Um, yes. But... This this is the issue, isn't it? But there we are. <laughs> I guess yes. We're gonna we're gonna end up having to like you know do a retraction maybe next week because oh, it's almost been, certainly yeah <laughs> it's been identified. <laughs> so moving as... on to. Uh... To the next story, and Matt, this one is for you. Yes, this is on the Oxford Times. Uh, OxfordTimes.co.uk is the website, and the headline: RAF Bryce Norton gets huge new aircraft hangar to help fleet fly global missions. So, an aircraft hangar larger than three football pitches has been opened at RAF Bryce Norton to make it easier for servicemen to fly missions around the world. New Defence Minister Guto Bep opened the facility yesterday day calling it phenomenally impressive the hangar will be the new home for the airbus a400m atlas fleet which recently took part in missions to the caribbean after hurricane irma last autumn the hangar covers 24,000 square meters is 28 meters tall and cost approximately 70 million pounds the base near car carterton uh, currently has 18 atlas aircraft which are large enough to carry armored vehicles with four more due by 20 2020. Maintenance of the aircraft will now be carried out inside the hangar, making it easier and safer for personnel. Mr. Bepp, who was made Minister for Defence Procurement three weeks ago and was on his first visit to the RAF base, said that the hangar would be crucial in ensuring the fleet can work with many different scenarios. He added, it is a state-of-art facility, a state-of-the-art facility, and everything you'd expect from a country that makes takes defence seriously. Our commitment to Bryce Norton has been made very clear in this investment. So yes, no, a very good story for Bryce Norton there. And that's a that's a massive building, isn't it? <laughs> Twenty was it twenty eight yeah, twenty four thousand square meters. That's just it's a very big site actually at Bryce. It's a very large facility, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mark Harvey, I think, uh, he, he sent us a piece from there, didn't he, actually? It's, uh, they do an air show from there, don't they, if my memory serves? Not from Bryce, no. no it's, okay. um, they do a family it's... day or something, don't they? No, no. They, um, <coughs> excuse me, they, uh, obviously, we have our one at RIA, at RAF Fairford in Gloucestershire, hmm. where we have the, um, obviously, the big air show. But um, Bryce, if you remember, a few, I think it was a few years back, uh, correct me never if I'm wrong, but they've done a series on TV all about Bryce Norton and what goes on there. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It was a great series, actually, wasn't it? I must uh, see if I can find that somewhere. But, yeah, it was good, nicely, nicely shot, actually. Very, some very good stuff. There's a lot of uh, movements coming out of there for the, the troops that are going overseas and yeah. all, all sorts of other operations. Yeah, great. Actually, Matt, a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the stuff that comes over us here uh, comes in and out of Bryce Norton. So a lot of Does the it? Uh, tankers, right. the big okay. uh, refueling tankers, come out of Bryce Norton. Very good, very good. So, moving on to the uh, last one, Nev, for you. This one is regarding a quite a, a well, I'd say a, an iconic relic. It is, yeah, and it's from a strange website, actually. It's from popularmechanics.com, and it's all about uh, the U.S. Air Force who are going to buy new wings for ageing A-10 warthogs that risked a one-way trip to the boneyard. The Air Force has made clear its intention to keep the A-10 flying after concerns surfaced that the plane that the service 
surfaced that the service was taking <laughs> advantage of the issue to get rid of the iconic close air support plane. Earlier this month, a Pentagon official in charge of the A-10 program announced an effort to re-wing 110 of the jets was not going to happen. Uh, of the 280 A-10 still in U.S. Air Force service, 173 have received new wings to keep them flying into the 2030s. Uh, the original re-winging contract with Boeing was for 242 sets of wings, but the contract ended when it was no longer cost-effective for the company, and the Boeing production line is closing later this year. That left at least 110 A-10s high and dry without new wings, a state that threatened to ground them for good unless a solution was uh, found, reducing the number of A-10 squadrons from nine to six. Uh, the Air Force focused on getting the F-35A Joint Strike Fighter up and running, didn't include a new wing contract in its 2018 budget. Congress, however, added funding a new wing assembly line and four new wings to get it warmed up. Now the Air Force is committed to buying more wings, according to uh, Dodie Buzz, uh, General Mike Holmes, uh, the head of the Air Force's Air Combat Command, which was announced last week at a uh, Washington, D.C. think tank, that the service will buy more wings beyond the initial four. Exactly how many wings will depend on the Department of Defense decision and the Air Force's work with Congress. The U.S. Air Force has tried to retire the A-10 since the 1991 Persian Gulf War, allocating its mission to the F-16 and now the F-35A. Retiring the A-10 would free up $4 billion over five years, enough to fund about 44 F-35As, as well as free up nine squadrons of personnel who could be reassigned to other projects. The A-10's popularity with the public, ground troops who receive support in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, and Afghanistan, excuse me, and Congress have repeatedly saved it from an early retirement. Critics outside the service believe that the F-35A is ill-suited to replace the A-10 and that no other plane has the firepower, protection and performance characteristics that make it a viable replacement. The F-35A F-35A lacks the GAU-8, a 30mm gun for close air support missions, the largest number of hard points for carrying a variety of ordnance and the armour and redundant systems to keep it flying after a hit. So that's some mm. good news, isn't it? And I see some uh, uh, the old uh, planes are getting re-winged and uh, being put back in service. Mm. Now I can remember many years ago, and this is going back quite a few years, when I was considerably younger than I am now, going to RAF Bent Wars here in the UK to uh, their open family days they used to have at RAF Bent Wars, because uh, the, the A-10 was based there um, for, for quite a few years at RAF Bent Wars, and seeing these in action doing the flights and the, uh, the air displays, and they, they were some free, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I think even people who are not military aviation fans or, or have a lot of knowledge of uh, military aircraft will will know instantly the A-10 by just the look uh, of, of this particular aircraft, what it looks like. But also bear in mind, um, we're talking about this aircraft obviously being re-winged. This aircraft first entered service in 1977. Wow. Good Lord. Gosh, that's, yeah. that's incredible. 
yeah, so it's uh, it's fairly fairly old. Actually, on that note as well, uh, there is a really really good uh, for the military aviation enthusiasts here in the UK. There is a incredibly good museum at the uh, Bentwaters Cold War Museum at RF Bentwaters here in the UK, and um, they've got uh, quite a few static aircraft on display on the old uh, the old base site as well. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a really great museum to go and visit. So. There we go. Bit of information there. Very good. Mm. Well done. I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, actually, so we, is, uh, we must have our chat about what, what we're going to have, aren't we? We must have our chat about what air shows we're going to visit. Actually, is uh, I think I think Farnborough's a must for me personally. Um, <coughs> yes. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad I managed to well, terminate the conversation. Sorry, I'm, I'm just I'm getting rid of my. Gone well, isn't it? Has, hasn't it? Yes, never mind. Uh, well, I just leave us with one job then, and that is to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. Um, to get in touch with the show, you have several ways to do that. Of course, uh, don't forget then our wonderful website. That actually, uh, it's probably about time I sat down and gave it a revamp, isn't it? But uh, not before <laughs> I've done Carlos's website first. But anyway, yes. this is yeah, this is uh, yeah. So it's plain talking. UK.com is the website. You'll find us on f- Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plain talking UK. And of course, if you want to get hold of us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at plain talking uk uh don't forget if you want to send in your audio feedback please do so we're desperate to get some feedback from you we love to hear your voice because it's a way of breaking things up it is podcast at plain talking uk.com that's podcast at plain talking uk.com and don't forget, if you want to become a Patreon of the show, you can do that via the website as well. Uh, we love, uh, love very much love all our donators to the show Absolutely. who help to uh, to push everything along as it does at the moment and to uh, to keep things running along. And uh, yeah, if you want to become a Patreon of the show or donate to the show, you can do that via the website, and the links are all there. If and also, you, don't if, forget if, if you, you want to uh, treat yourself as well to a T-shirt. Uh, Matt, uh, they can be found on the website as well? That's right, yes, it's on the same place, so it is, uh, go to www.plaintalkinguk.com and there is a special button on the website uh, called store and in there you will find, he says waiting for the page to load, uh, you will find a certain uh, brewing expert there modelling our (laughs) t-shirts for us, so that's Matt Caton there, he's modelling the fabulous good quality t-shirts, and they are good quality are they not Nev, they're they're excellent t-shirts Oh yeah, they are. I like. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I very must. Nice. I must say, I am rather a fan of our shirt that is not available on the website. Uh, I, I, I do quite <laughs> like those. That they they are really nice. Also, actually, guys, seriously, if you are uh, not in a, a position to perhaps financially assist us with the show, don't forget if you use the Amazon link on our website by just oh, buying yeah. things from Amazon, you can actually help contribute towards the running cost of the show because uh, anything that you buy through that. Uh, link uh, we get uh, a small advertising referral free fee sorry from uh, amazon uh, which all goes to helps towards uh, it, it it's usually spent on goods that mean otherwise we'd have to do a walk of shame to maplin does it not uh, but <laughs> there, <laughs> yes. there we are absolutely I, I use i use that link all the time <laughs> yeah absolutely so do i uh, so do i but uh, there we are all part of the fun I, I think that's it boys and girls we are done so 
Yes, so that is where we are going to bring episode number 202 to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. So it just leaves me to say a massive thank you to everyone who has joined us in the live chat room in YouTube tonight for the show. Massive thanks to you guys for joining us and taking time out of your Friday evening. And also, let's not forget as well, everyone who downloads the show through iTunes and all the various podcast downloading places across the globe. Thanks to you for downloading the show each week yeah we are really appreciative thanks very much guys uh, from all of us across the world so I'm here in Windsor Nev is in Buckinghamshire Carlos is in boring old PTUK Towers from <laughs> all of us here it is time to say goodbye say goodbye everyone bye 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 bye, bye. bye.